Well, today I thought we would look at a kind of an uplifting and a, a, a comedy, really, a humorous story from the Bible. A lot of people don't realize it, but the book of Jonah is actually a comedy. If it were a play, it would fall under the genre of comedy. Now, it has a serious theme, uh, like a lot of comedies do, but it's a comedy. And uh, so if, um, forget about all the debates about the fish and just listen to the story. You can laugh if you want. There'll be sometimes, uh, I'm mostly just going to tell the story. I'm not really going to read it to you. I'm just going to tell it. But I will refer to some scripture in the story every now and then, just so you know I'm not making this up. Okay? Um, this, the story begins when Jonah gets an unwanted transfer. And it starts right in the beginning with chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. Well, Nineveh, Shminevah. Jonah had absolutely no intention of going to warn them about God's wrath, because Jonah hated Ninevites. I mean, he didn't just dislike them, he absolutely hated them. And he wasn't going to go there to warn them uh, about the wrath of God. As a matter of fact, he would love to see God destroy them. He would buy a ticket to watch God destroy these people. And uh, before you, you get the idea that Jonah is just some small-minded prophet who's tired of hearing the Ninevites talk about how they did it up north, um, <laughs> he had a real reason that he hated the Ninevites. Uh, because the Ninevites were a part of Assyria. And Assyria had invaded Israel and they had been at war. And the Assyrians were known for their violence. They were known for the terrible things they did to people during war. They did not follow the Geneva Convention. And so um, in the name of war, the Assyrians did some horrible, unspeakable things to the Israelites. And they still hated them. They had never forgiven them for that. So it's important to understand how much Jonah really hated them and, and how deeply rooted that hate was because, of, because they had actually done some things that, you know, you couldn't blame them for hating them. And so when God said, told Jonah, go to the Ninevites, <laughs> Jonah said, not me. No way, Yahweh. I'm not going to tell those people anything. And Jonah quickly got, uh, went to Joppa, got into a boat and headed to Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction of Nineveh. And then Jonah discovered that it's hard to run from God because this storm came up. And the ship was being tossed about, and the storm got so bad that even these seasoned sailors were scared. And they didn't know what to do. And Jonah was downstairs in his berth, asleep. Now, this is the part of the story that really annoys me. Because I think of how many nights I have lay awake all night, tossing and turning worrying about whether or not I made the right decision or whether or not I've done the right thing. And here's Jonah, who knows he did the wrong thing, who knows he is completely disobeying God, 
and he's down here sleeping through a storm. And so finally the sailors wake him up, and they tell him he better start praying, because it looks like they're all going to drown. And you know, in the midst of a crisis, the most important thing to do is to find somebody to blame, right? So they all threw dice to determine whose fault it was that this storm was, was assailing them. And the numbers pointed to Jonah. So they made him confess, tell them what he had done, why this had happened. And Jonah said, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the God who created all things and who is in control of all things, including these dice, apparently. And then Jonah told him, just go ahead and throw him overboard, and the storm would stop. And uh, they, the sailors didn't want to do this, so they tried. They threw other stuff off. They tried everything they could, but the storm got worse. And so finally, they took Jonah, and they threw him over. And you know, Jonah didn't seem to mind. He actually would rather drown than go tell the Ninevites uh, that they could repent and that God loved them. So... Um, as soon as Jonah hit the water, the storms stopped. And as Jonah sank beneath the waves, a giant fish swallowed him. And the sailors were stunned. Jonah was stunned. I believe the fish was stunned as well. <laughs> so Jonah got the first submarine ride over to Nineveh inside the fish. He had time to pray and to think. And after three days, the fish spit Jonah out on the shore, and um, two prayers were answered that day, Jonah's prayer, and I believe the fish's prayer also. And so then it happens again. This is in chapter 3. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. So, um, deja vu. God tells Jonah the same time, the same thing. But this time, Jonah decides he's going to go and do what God told him to do. Um, I'm not sure his attitude had changed much, but he decided that you know, if you run from God, you get caught in a storm, you get thrown overboard, you get swallowed by fish, then spit out on the shore, the very place you were supposed to go, he might as well just go ahead and do it. And so um, he went into Nineveh. And, and like I said, I don't think his attitude had changed. I don't think it changed much of all. So you can, you can imagine what a really heartwarming sermon it must have been that Jonah preached. Uh, Stephen Shoemaker paraphrases it like this. It was three points. One, God is just. Two, you are sinners. Three, bye-bye. But something incredible happened. As it often does, in spite of the preacher, God gets his message across. And the people of Nineveh repented. They turned to God and they asked God for forgiveness. And God forgave them. Now, I want you to just really kind of put yourself in the shoes of, of the Israelites who read this story they were stunned. How could God forgive the Ninevites? They hated the Ninevites. But in this story, God forgives them, 
And so the people rejoiced, and God laughed, and Jonah stomped away to sulk. Um, in chapter 4, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry, and he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I tried to forestall this by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Jonah was hot. I knew you would do this, God. I don't like these people, and you just forgive them. You're too soft on people. You know, there's rules, and I know that we're supposed to love everybody, but I'm telling you, God, that does not work here in the real world. You just don't understand. You see, grace from God for me is a wonderful thing, but grace for people I don't like is maddening, and that's exactly what Jonah was dealing with. And, and God tried to talk to Jonah about his anger management skills, but Jonah just stormed away again, went up on top of a hill, made a little shelter for himself uh, to, to protect him from the sun, and he sat down and he watched. He was watching over the city of Nineveh, still hoping that there could be a little fire and brimstone somewhere. Surely everybody hadn't repented. And, and uh, you know, God couldn't resist he caused this plant to grow up and cover Jonah and provide shade. And Jonah liked that. But then a worm got into the plant and the plant died. And Jonah was out in the hot sun again. And God apparently turned up the heat a little more. And Jonah was angry. And again, God asked Jonah, why, why are you so angry? And Jonah said, well, I, because I love this little plant. It grew, and it was a shade, and I loved it, and now it's gone, and you let it die. And, and the story uh, and the book ends with God saying this to Jonah. The Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight, and it died overnight. Should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also so many animals. So there you have it. God loves animals. It's right there. And the story leaves us with a whole lot of questions. Um, does Jonah ever repent? Does Jonah ever learn to love the Ninevites? Does Jonah even learn, ever learn to like the Ninevites. How's Jonah going to explain the part about the fish to his friends and 21st century literalists? But these questions aren't really important because you see, the story's not about the fish. The story's not about Jonah. The story is about God. For one thing, it's a story about how God can use stubborn, self willed, salty people if they'll just finally obey which is good news, <laughs> good news for all of us. Uh, as a matter of fact, it's our only hope. But first and foremost, it's a story about drawing circles. We all draw circles. Jonah was a circle drawer. 
He drew circles around the people that he thought God should love. And the people in that circle, amazingly, were people like Jonah. The Ninevites were not in that circle. It's amazing. The circles we draw, turns out they always are full of people that look a lot like us. So he left the Ninevites outside the circle, and what God was showing Jonah was that God draws a bigger circle because God's circle included the Ninevites. And I believe these days that God is teaching us that we need to draw bigger circles. I mean, like Jonah, sometimes we draw geographical circles. We draw a circle around the United States like we actually believe that for some reason God loves us more than he loves every other country and nation in the world. God created everybody. Every human being everywhere is created in the image of God. God's circle includes them all. God loves us all. We draw circles economically, we draw circles racially, we draw circles based on sexuality. We draw circles that leave out the people that don't look like us or um, act like us or think like us. And then God comes along and draws this great old big circle that includes all those folks. Somebody once asked theologian uh, Karl Barth, when we get to heaven, will we see the people there that we love? And Dr. Bart said, yes, you will. You will also see a lot of people there that you don't like. <laughs> and we were all guilty. We all draw circles, and we tend to draw them around the people who look like us, who act like us, who think like us. God went to great lengths to teach Jonah and us, that God's circle is so much bigger than the ones we draw. And here's the good news, is that we can learn to erase the circles that we draw with uh, our own prejudices and biases and selfishness. We can learn to erase them and make them bigger until one day the goal is our circle will be as big as God's. In my decades of trying to follow Jesus, I can't tell you how many times I've had to get out my eraser and make that circle bigger than I thought it was. And the only reason that I can find the courage to do that is because one day I realized that I was included in God's circle. You know, there would have been some people that I wouldn't have been in their circle. But I was included in God's circle. And that makes all the difference. And so here's the other thing I want you to know before you leave here today. You are smack dab in the middle of God's circle. Because you are the beloved of God. And it doesn't matter how many circles you've been left out of, even if they were drawn by your family, if they've been drawn by church folks, you are in God's circle, right in the middle of God's circle, because God loves you. You are his beloved, and you always have been, and you always will be.
Amen.